This week on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, we discuss the IAF's decision to get rid of the 5,000 meter event from the Diamond League beginning in 2020. We take a look at the new Olympic qualifying system, the world rankings, and what it all means. Are the US Olympic trials under threat? We recap NCAA indoors and the show put on by University of Florida star Grant Holloway. We talk about Anthony Roteach and his decision to become a United States citizen. And we talk about Arthing Mo who was surprisingly upset in the 800 meters, the New Balance Nationals indoors. We end this week's episode with an obituary for the 5,000 meters and some listener audio. All of that in store right now. Today's podcast is sponsored by Floyds of Leadville. Go to floydsofleadville.com and enter code LRMAR to save 10% on your CBD products. floydsofleadville.com for certified CBD products for runners. the 5,000 meters. You had a glorious life. Born in 1912 in Stockholm. Dead in 2019 after 106 plus years in Doha. Folks, this is Robert Johnson, Let's Run.com co-founder, welcoming you to another edition of our podcast. By the way, we're looking up for a name for our podcast. Track Talk is kind of lame. doesn't show up in like, who's searching Track Talk? and iTunes. Maybe we should just call it the Rojo Podcast, but if you have any suggestions, please email us or call 844-LET'S-RUN, and we'll give you a free t-shirt if we adopt your name. But uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm joined, as usual, by my twin brother and co-founder, Weldon Johnson, as well as the man with the Masters of Journalism, Jonathan Galt. Guys, what a week. NCAA Championships. That's what I thought we'd be talking about, but instead... We're talking about the death of the 5,000 meters. We're leading off the program with that. And should we say more than the death of the 5,000 meters? Could this be the death of distance running? I think that's a little hyperbolic, Robert, but it's unfortunate. I mean, I think when we all heard this news that the IAF beginning in 2020 is going to be scrapping the 5,000 meters from Diamond League races, we're all pretty bummed out. I know we're all distance nerds. Most of our listeners at letsrun.com are distance nerds and readers at letsrun.com. And the one thing I thought was... My lasting image of the 2018 Diamond League season was that incredible men's 5,000 meter race in Brussels. I mean, we had three guys go on to 1250. We had Selman Borrega run 1243. Kajelcha was just out there hammering the pace. He runs 1246 and gets third. Paul Chalima runs 1257 and just gets smoked in that race. I mean, it was totally phenomenal. It was distance running, just magnificent distance running. And that kind of race, we're not going to get anymore. And I, I know it's been a while since we'd seen one like that, but it's just kind of lame that we have no more 5Ks in this in this uh, series. I think it's pretty bad myself. And I think also we might have misread what this was. Everybody's under the assumption that the 3,000 is replacing the 5,000. I think if you read carefully, it says there'll be no event more longer than 3,000 meters. And it makes no sense to run 3,000s outdoors on a track. So I think that opens up the possibility for the steeplechase staying. I bet when it's all said and done, there's no 3K or 5K in the Diamond League. It's sad because, as you said, John, one of the greatest moments of the Diamond League last year was the 5,000 meters. And I noticed on the day 
the Diamond League was cut cut the 5,000 from its series, they ran a poll saying, what was the greatest race in the 2011 Diamond League? And one of the four options was a woman's 5,000 meters. If you look in track and field the last 25 years, the biggest distance names, Bekele, Farah, Gabriel Selassie on the men's side, those are the three biggest names along with El Garouche. What do three those guys have in common? They're 5K, 10K runners. And so they don't get to practice their trade beforehand. How are they going to even like get their name out there? And on the women's side, you know, Dababa, Defar are big names. You're going to have a 5K and a 10K at Worlds. I just wonder if one of those eventually will get dropped. I don't think cutting six minutes from the program is the solution is what ills track and field. So kind of interesting to see where this goes. Maybe also we're overreacting because Pre can still have a 5K at once. It just can't be in the hour and a half TV window. Yes, I just put up an article on the front page. The communications department, the IAAF, they definitely are worried about this. They think people are acting on misinformation. We're also talking about with the Olympic uh, qualifying changes as well. I think they're most worried about those changes. But um, when I was Monaco, I mean, my phone just rang right before this podcast. They called me and they wanted to get the accurate information out about the new Olympic qualification standards, which I think we'll talk about as well. They wanted to make a point of, and they mentioned pre specifically the pre classic. They said, look, there's a 90 minute international TV window. That's what we're looking for. I think they're going to try to have it at the same time of the day and the same day of the week, which would be nice, but there's nothing to prevent them. There's probably going to be a 30 minute domestic TV window as well. And hopefully that'll be streaming. So it probably won't be any different that, you know, you could run a, a, a pre classic 5,000 or even pre classic 10,000. But the issue really folks to me is the money the $10,000 for first goes a long way. If you're a young guy, they're just going to move to the marathon even sooner. There's no 3,000 and 5,000. You got to wait every other year for the world. I think you're going to have a lot of road races. I wouldn't be opposed to getting rid of the 10K and making it cross country if they're trying to modernize the sport. But it's very disappointing to me. If you don't want to show it on TV, that's fine. Just don't show it in the TV window. I, I just think that the average hobby jogger runs a 5,000 and they can relate to it. The 5,000 is way more relatable than a 3,000. So I really can't see them keeping a 3,000. But as you said, and maybe, fine, only maybe 10 or 20% of really hardcore distance fans and sprint fans don't care about the 5K and it's boring. But if they're at the meet, they can get up, get a drink, use the restroom. Most sporting events are two hours. But there is a subset of the population. You know, we get a million to million and a half unique visitors a month on Let's Run, and they really do care about the 5K. And the casual jogger cares about the 5K. Do you know how do we just drop the 5K? I just don't see it. To play devil's advocate here, though, so I was just at the NCAA indoor meet over the weekend. They had a 5,000. They had back-to-back 5,000s on Friday night. The fans just really went into that. I had multiple people telling me, like, you know, they were engaged in the sprint prelims. They're only prelims on Friday night. They were into those. And then the 5K, there just wasn't a lot of passion in the building. It wasn't the crowd wasn't making a lot of noise. They just maybe that's because the meet was in Alabama. That's maybe more of a sprint hotbed. I don't really know, but the 5K, I, that's not the only meet I've been to where it's been like that. USA Outdoors a few years ago when it was in Sacramento, people stayed for the sprints. They get into the sprints, and then they have distance files at night, and they just file out, and there's no one left. And I just think in our corner of the sport let's run.com certainly the 5k is important and we love it but there are other people in this world i can sort of see that some of the thinking that went into this with the iaf in that people care about the sprints more than they care about distance and maybe it's not true for us but that that's at least you know maybe where they're coming from on this one 
5K is pretty long. You can cut away to other events, show other stuff, show some of the field events. I mean, you're always going to have that in a track meet. I really doubt they're just going to show race, 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 because you have to put in the field event somehow. It'll also be interesting because they're just seeing a little pushback from that, this, but what are the three other events that are going to essentially get cut from the Diamond League? I think a year ago, a lot of people probably would say, like, cut the 400-meter hurdles. Well, that's one of the most prominent events. And I think one thing that is different about the 5K is is long-distance running, are we going to keep that as a track event? Or are we just going to have roads and 1,500? But right now, there's a lot of casual long-distance runners who can relate to track because at the Olympics and this sort of stuff, there is a 5K, there is a 10K. And I don't think, you know, obviously 10,000 meters on national television is pretty boring from the average person. But at the Olympics, some of the most iconic moments have been in the 10,000 meters. Even recently, look at Mo Farah. Without a 10,000, he's just a sort of guy who won one distance race. So the fact people can go for the double, that sort of stuff, Gabriel Selassie, Mo Farah, where's the sport without these guys? Where's track and field without these guys? And if you don't have distance running on the track outside of the Olympics, how do these guys get built up? Billy Mills, I mean, his upset in, in Mexico City was one of the most biggest upsets in Olympic history. Tokyo. Tokyo, excuse me. Thank you, John. That's why we have you on staff. One thing when I was speaking to IWF today from Monaco was they said, well, look, do you know how often the top 5,000 runners actually raced each other last weekend? He's like, you need six races to build the points. I'm like, she said they only raced twice. Top people only raced twice last year leading up to the Diamond League final. I'm like, first of all, you don't need six races to make the points work. Treat the 5,000 differently. You don't have to have everything be the same. You don't need to treat the 5,000 like it's the 100 meters. Weldon and I were talking about ways to save the 5,000. Um, this might be good for Let's Run. We could we can start the Let's Run 5,000 championship. We have a couple events. We only need two or three. I, I even told that to laugh. I might say, look, I don't want the 5,000 meter runners racing every week. I'd like them to race once at the beginning of the season, once in the middle of the season, and then once in the Diamond League final or Worlds. If they race every other week, they're just going to we know who's going to win if we won last week, you know, and a lot of times they're having the same race and like within two or three days of each other. It was, it was just stupidity, but uh, ways to save the 5,000. And here's the number one way in this woke social justice world. I think we should make the argument. Well, we shouldn't because we're white males, but we get people to say, Hey, this is a racist decision. You're wiping out all the Africans. What event are the Africans good at? Oh my God, the 5,000 and 10,000. What decision, what, what, rule does some white dude in Doha decide to get rid of? Oh, let's get rid of all the African events. Not smart in this day and age. Yeah, I, I've actually already seen that take circulating a little bit on Twitter, Robert, so you might be onto something. I was kind of kidding. No, I've, I've seen it. I wasn't kidding in the sense it's supposed to be a global sport. It's this event that the African countries are best at. I mean, it's really two countries. But at the same time, you're essentially removing two countries from the Diamond League. Kenyans are still good at the 1500 and Ethiopians as well. But if you look at the numbers on people who are going to be impacted, the vast majority are African runners. And fine, you can say they're, they're not interesting, but one can make the argument like, okay, why are we excluding these people? Should we be more inclusive? If the 5,000 was dominated by a bunch of Europeans, I don't think it's getting cut. I think that's pretty simple to say. My other thing, I want to go back to what the IAF told you, Robert, about the best athletes not racing each other. That problem, come on, in the 5,000, they, they race each other a little bit. The 100 meters, all right, from 2014 through 2017, the best two 100-meter runners in the world were Justin Gatlin and Usain Bolt. How many times did they race in a Diamond League race? Zero. Zero times in four years. All right, last year, 400 hurdles. Rai Benjamin and Abdurrahim Samba from Qatar, two best 400-meter hurdlers in the, in the world. How often did they race last year? Zero. 
Shawnee Miller and uh, Salwai Nasser from Bahrain, they raced each other, I think, once in Monaco. That was it. They dodged each other the rest of the season. The idea that the top athletes in the 5,000 meters aren't racing each other enough, I mean, cut every track and field event because so many athletes will dodge each other in all the other events as well. It's it's ridiculous to say that that's a problem that's endemic to the 5,000 meters. One other thing about the 5,000, John, you, you talked earlier about how at NCAAs there wasn't a lot of buzz for it. I noticed that on TV. I mean, the crowd cleared out. The ESPN announcers, and don't get me started on them, I, I keep claiming I'm going to volunteer for that. I'm an ESPN Plus announcer, so can't they like look at my video and hire me? You know, they've got four field eventers doing the NCAs now, so there's no true play-by-play guy and then three field eventers. And they're great at the field events, but they were kind of making fun of the 5,000 DMR themselves, the announcers, and the crowd cleared out. So it's interesting, though, that like, I would argue the diehard fans, the people, there's no runners, there's no full track, let's run a runner space for, for sprinters. They mainly, mainly focus on distance running. Cause I think runners identify as distance runners, you know? So it's interesting moving forward. I mean, I, I think we should move on and talk about some of these other things that happened last week. I mean, we haven't even really talked about the Olympic standards changes. And to me, that's probably bigger. I don't know. The, the end of the 5,000 though really is bothering me because it's going to just wipe out track distance running. Yeah, it stinks. I mean, I wish Seb Coe had run the 5K, right? It's that simple. I mean, if he had run the 5K, it's not cut. It's just that simple. And it is interesting, Weldon, because you say that. he Every time I know at these meets, I see him in press conferences and I talk to him and, well, I, I, not one-on-one, but I see him in the press conferences and I asked him, I think last time in London, about his thoughts on Justin Gatlin winning the 100 because he'd been outspoken against people who'd served doping bans. And... I said the 100 is the marquee event of the championships. And he's like, oh, I don't know if everyone would agree with that. What I mean, you know, 1500 is pretty big. And it's like, I agree, I agree. I love the 1500, you know, as much as the next person. But come on, the 100 meter dash with Usain Bolt, that is always the marquee event of any world championships or Olympics. And to think otherwise is just like, is kind of crazy to me. I've been looking at the Diamond League Twitter feed more this week. They had Usain Bolt on it now, who's been retired you know, I don't see them tweeting out pictures of Manangoy. So I think <laughs> definitely the 100 is the premier event of track and field no matter what. You just ask anyone who watches the Olympic, anyone, any average fan, they know Usain Bolt. They're going to be interested in Usain Bolt. They probably, even before Usain Bolt, you know, a decent sports fan would know who the 100 meter Olympic champion is, but they would not know who the 100 me- the 1500 meter Olympic champion is, even though the current champion is american right in big picture we need the stars racing each other more often but if we have 12 diamond league meets people are saying oh, they're gonna have the same events at every meet i assume they're not gonna have 1200 meters so maybe half the events have women half have men but we need the stars to race more encouraging world rankings to get people to race more rewarding the prize money for people who race more is good but appearance fees are still going to rule the sport for the top guys and the top guys aren't going to need any of these ranking points to make the Olympics. And I doubt their shoe contracts will be tied to these ranking points. The question will remain, are the top stores going to be racing more each other? It's just more of the thing that the second tier athletes try to game to make the Olympics. A lot of athletes, especially like Nick Willis. I talked to Jordy Williams. He was on our podcast early this year. And when some of these proposed ranking changes went into place, they were already looking at this. How do we make sure we still make the Olympics? You know, you go to Europe, you rack up points in some of these lesser tier meets. Some of that, the minute comes who has the resources to fly around the world, that sort of thing. And it's good for people to, you know, race in more prominent races. But I think the one thing the ranking system really leaves short is just, this is sort of our armchair looking at it. It vastly underestimates 
how strong of a meet the Olympic marathon trials are and the Olympic track trials. And also, I think one thing that it's going to do is punish tactical races. It rewards time a lot. Place is important in bigger events and what event you are, but time is important. But time and anything 800 and up, like what if it's bad weather and you have a tactical race? We're going to like punish the, punish guys who win those races. And I think tactical races have a place in our sport. And what about like hilly marathons, that sort of stuff? So obviously there'll be some kinks to work out here and there. But the one thing that needs to be fixed is in the U.S., I fault the leadership at USATF if, if they didn't get this across beforehand. And Rich Kana, who is executive director of the Atlanta Track Club, has spoken out. We need the Olympic trials to be simple for the fan. Top three make the team for the marathon trials and the track, assuming America's strong enough in those events. And that needs to be changed because the Olympic marathon trials is equivalent to an IWF gold meet for sure in terms of depth and quality. And if you get top 10 in a world marathon major, you're automatically in the Olympics. So a top three at the Olympic U.S. Olympic marathon trials should be equivalent to that and get you on the team. That's just one simple change they can do. Who cares? They don't want to give us the ranking points for that. Fine. But just make sure that third place gets in the trials. Most likely that person will probably make it anyway, but just come on. Let's just do a few things for the sport because in America, there are four big things every four years or three, actually Olympics, Olympic trials, marathon, Olympic trials track. A few corrections there. One, the IWF sent me a correction of, of what type of race the Olympic marathon trials would be considered as. They, they've changed the standards in 2018 or 2019. So it's harder to be a gold level race. Like you need, it's now, I think, six men. It doesn't matter what countries they're from, actually. But I think it's six men that have to be ranked in the top one. Was it 100, John, or 200 in the marathon? I haven't seen these this criteria. The marathon trial is based on the numbers of people. On the top level, people may not be a gold, but I agree with you. It's harder to make top three at the U.S. Olympic trials than it is to get 10th in a world marathon major. I mean, in New York this year, there are four Americans in the top 10. So they need to have a thing. If you're, we, we already wrote the IWF. I said, look, you know, one of the things they said is like, look, in 2016, we went over the Olympic number. We had too many track and field athletes, and they're cutting it down this year from that. It was like over 1,000. I think it's going to be. Um, it's from 2005 athletes to 1900 athletes they got to cut 100 athletes and they're adding in a mixed gender four by four uh, and they're not allowed to go over the number this year so that's why they're having these hard caps you know it's like 45 per event which so you're cutting five percent that shouldn't be that hard to do which is fine but i i, I when i wrote them i said look we're going to be sending three people regardless why do you care which three we're sending person who finishes third of the trials even if they don't upgrade the quality of the trials will probably still make it but we don't know that. And, and the beauty of the trials is the idea that somebody could do it. So I think in the marathon trials, they just need to upgrade that. There needs to be an exception added for that race. And in general, the U.S. Olympic trials need to be valued more. So if you look at the – John and I spend a lot of time analyzing the world rankings. So in any given race, Weldon's right. A tactical race means nothing. You get points for your performance score, which is based off the IWF scoring tables. of How good of an absolute mark is that? So you might score like 1,400 points if you're like winning a world championship and probably like 1,200 meters, 1,200 of those points would be, you know, based on your, how fast you ran. And then like, there's a 200 point bonus for winning worlds, but there might be a hundred point bonus for winning some obscure meet and it's how they rank the meets, but a U.S. an area national championship in most places isn't important. So it's not ranked very high. Like the Belize national championships is worth not that many points, bonus points for your first place finish. And the U.S. Olympic trials, which is an amazing track and field country, gets the same number of bonus points as Belize. 
And that's actually less points than winning a non-Diamond League event at a Diamond League race. So we've already figured out a way to game the system. And the IWS said that they didn't think that – they thought the pre-classic could do this. They could run like a non-Diamond League 3,000 and a non-Diamond League 5,000 in the same year. So you could run one on Friday and one for Saturday and, and, and dilute the field. So there's like 20 people earning bonus points. And then you could even run a 10,000 at these. Now, I don't know. I assume that would count for non-Diamond League bonus points as well. So if Tom Jordan really wants to go crazy, he could add in these events. I don't know if there's any way to make sure that it's of a certain quality. Because if you look at actually the Drake Relays, the Drake Relays is another meet. Winning the Drake Relays mile is worth more points than winning the U.S. Olympic Trials. Again, the U.S. Olympic Trials is not treated that highly. It's like an area national championship. It's no different than the Belize National Olympic Trials. Or, and there's also the Olympic trials are no different than a, the two 2020 trials are no different than the 2018 trials when no one goes. So that's the biggest problem. But there's also some things, you know, I know they don't want to like hey, make special rules for America because the rest of the world hates America because, you know, whatever, we're richer. But arrogant, Robert, arrogant. The NACAC championships, the North American Caribbean championships are overvalued. The NACAC championships count more, way more than the Olympic trials. I think it counts more than the Diamond League, right, John? I would have to look at that specifically. How are you saying, how are the Drake relays worth more than USA's, Robert? Are you sure about that? Yes, we, we looked it up yesterday. Diamond League meetings are worth more than uh, NACAC, to be clear. But NACAC is worth more than World Indoor Tour, Area Senior Indoor Championships. Hey, there's no point on the podcast to like get into whether Drake is worth more than USA's. We can look at that, post it, or you know, talk about it at the end of the podcast. But... Right, right. We said the system isn't perfect. We can improve it. And they did say that. The nice thing was, I know a person that called me today was like, look, we're not trying to have a bad system. If you actually look at the rankings, and John and I spent a lot of time on it, for the most part, it's pretty good. Like they actually differentiate between the Drake Mile, which is a pro race, and the Drake 5000 somehow. So I don't know how, there must be some subjectivity to it, which is a college race. And for the most part, you know, it's pretty good, but. I don't know. I think it's really undervaluing U.S. championships and particularly the U.S. Olympic trials because even the U.S. Olympic trials, their marathon ranking is based on the top end. Like you have to have six super studs. So what? You have six super studs and a couple of them drop out or maybe they have to finish. They run 230. What does that mean? The U.S. Olympic trials doesn't have that many studs, but if you have 80 214 people, some of them are going to run you know, decently. So it's not easy to get top 10 there. Here is my biggest worry about the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, and this is something Dan Lilo, the agent, uh, has been posting on Twitter as well, is if you look at the USA, the way they qualify the team right now is you need to have the standard by the trials date. That's how they do it for the Olympic trials and the track. I think it's usually how the marathon, you'd never really have to worry about it in the past because everyone was going to have the old marathon standard. It was like 219 in 2016. So anyone who's going to make the team has it. But the way it works now, qualifying for world championships or the Olympics with, with USA, they will take the top three athletes who have the standard going into the trials. Even if someone in the event, say you get third in the 1500 and you don't have the standard and you're in position to get an invite, from the IAF when they go to fill the fields, they will not take that person. They would take the third person at the trials with the standard. And so in the Olympic marathon trials, that standard is now very much more difficult. It's 211.30, all right? 229.30. 229.30 for the women, which I don't think that would be a problem because I think we're going to have the top women going into the trials next year will probably have that. Amy Craig, though, you know, may, might not have it beforehand. She's not. She's probably not going to run a marathon this year. So... But my worry is, 
if USATF goes by that system, and we don't know yet, USATF hasn't made this uh, clear, they haven't had time to publicly respond, but say, what if they choose to say, hey, you need to have, we're going to take the top three people with the automatic standard going into the trials. If, if they do that, they might as well cancel the Olympic trials, John, because very few people are going to have the standard. Someone posted on Let's Run on the message board, how many, in the track, very few people are going to have those, those top end standards. Right. So the Olympic trials will be lame. It'll be, okay, there's four people in this race that can make the team, only three. USATF has got to get rid of that rule. They've got to. But right. y- you can question this. They said there was an American on the council who, who came up with these rules. I don't know who that American is. Well, do you know that you've been sort of following the USATF governance? But again, y'all get mad when I bash Max Siegel and sort of bash on rich people, but the dude's making a million dollars a year. Where's his leadership? Whoever is the head of the American on this conference, they're giving an exemption to the world marathon majors. So someone obviously got that. Some lobbying body obviously got that out. I mean, the world marathon majors isn't that much better than Dubai. Why isn't Dubai in there? So someone lobbied for the world marathon marathon majors, which is really a marketing ploy to get their exception. Why, Why didn't the American, why didn't Max Siegel use his seven figure salary to get the Olympic trials in there? I hope, I'm assuming between now and next year, they can already do that. But they're already coming out with this in March. Guess what? I, I tried to explain this to IWF. We've already picked our trials and they're, they're next February 29th. So it's a terrible date because if we knew this was going to have this system, we would put the trials in the fall, I think, of this year. So you could let someone run a spring marathon or spring half marathon to get the time they need to get into the Olympics. Exactly. And you wouldn't have it on a hilly course in Atlanta. Right, where it could theoretically be like 70 or 80 degrees on February 29th. Correct, especially if they're going to have it, you know, for a TV broadcast window, have it. Last year, they had the marathon, what, in the middle of the day in Los Angeles, so it was fit on TV, right? Are tactical marathons going to be punishing this thing, or hot weather marathons? If you win New York City Marathon, I don't really care what the weather is, you're the New York City Marathon champion. Okay, fine. For a super fast time, maybe you should get more points. Maybe actually the marathon, nobody will care. We'll have our rankings into the year and track and field news will have its rankings at the end of the year. And I guess the IWF will have theirs, but the rankings don't mean anything. In terms of qualifying for the Olympics, that is a big deal. And we've already set the course in Atlanta. It's a very difficult course and you could have hot weather and that slows the times down. You're not supposed to go to the Olympics because you ran on a tough course. In regards to Siegel, I could care less how much money he's making. He's in charge of USA Track and Field. He needs to get the job done. The money's irrelevant. But speaking of money, Robert, and rich people, do you see the going rate for an admission spot to an Ivy League school? Just straight out to bribe the coach, $400,000 to make the Yale soccer, be a Yale women's soccer recruit. But then I think you had to pay the uh, the guy organizing the bribes another 800000 I think it was one point. Three million. That's a little bit more than what I was offering for Cor- when I was coaching at Cornell. I mean, I know at Cornell, <laughs> some people think it's not quite as prestigious as Yale. I would get, I would put your child on the on the list for for uh, slightly less than a quarter million. Two hundred thousand dollars was my going rate. Um, well, I got to ask here. I mean, Will and I both ran on varsity teams. We actually used the spots we were given. I don't know about you, what Robert, what strings were pulled to get you to to Princeton. But uh, Will and I were not recruited athletes. We got in our on our. I mean, our daddy's paying for private school tuition and SAT tutors. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the coach said I wasn't recruited, John. But my high school teammate was like a top fifteen recruit in America. So I think he probably let me in, so Eric could go as well. But I think this proves that. Robert Johnson, the brains of let's run.com non-recruited athlete got into Princeton parents out there. You want consulting? He'll get your kid in. I did joke. And I was coaching at Cornell. I'm like, if they, they were, I was making $13,000 a year for like six, seven years. One year I made zero. I was like, if they just let me sell one, I, I thought I was such a good coach that I could, I'm like, we get like 15, 16 spots a year. I'm like, look, 
we're doing pretty well. We're winning these meets by a lot. Ivy League championships track. And I'm like, we could probably, the bot, at the end of the year, a lot of times the last recruit, we're kind of hurting to find somebody. I'm like, if they would just let us sell one spot, we could really do quite well. I didn't think we could do, you know, $400,000 well, but hey. So you're taking credit for this illegal idea where people like <laughs> Felicity Huffman might now go to jail for. I, I haven't read in these, all these articles about it. I haven't read anything. What are they facing? Like, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if she's going to jail. I do know that she's one of the people who's, you know, involved in this. And instead of spending $500,000, like for your girl to go to USC, like, shouldn't you just give them that money? I guess if they really, if you're really rich, money doesn't matter, does it? That's the thing I'm shocked by that people have this much money just to sort of throw around. And like the, one of the kids, one of the stars movie kids who went to USC, like was posting on Twitter, how she doesn't give a shit about school and just really wanted to go to the football games. Parents are paying half a million for her to go to school there. I'd, I'd tutor these kids for a quarter million a year. No problem. As a former coach, I easily see how it happened. Like they, they would, somebody was, at, my wife was asking me like, they don't check to see, you know, their, their track credentials. I said, no, we're the, it would be hard. You know, they don't know, like you could be the best guy in your team and fifth in the state sounds impressive, but some states that's terrible or whatever. But I was really surprised by the USC thing. I'm wondering if it goes higher up there because the, the person doing it was an assistant athletic director. So at Cornell, like we had a track list. So we would see who was on the track list. So if there was some random name, we'd be like, who's this? Like that would not fly muster there. So I wonder if like that assistant athletic director was covering up stuff for some of the coaches and the coaches were letting it happen or that makes me very interested there. I can see how the coach can get away with the bribe, but I don't see how the assistant athletic director could do it. Bury it on the scheme. Simple as that. Well, I know, but then the coach would also have to be in the scheme, right? And how do you bring this up with a coach? I would love to know how it worked. Did he just randomly cold call like college coaches and be like, go down the Cornell like directory and be like, yell directory and call like fencing, women's soccer? Like, hey, I've got, f- I'm not going to say who I am, but if I paid you $400,000, could you put a recruiter on your list? Jerome Allen, now the Boston Celtics assistant coach, John, he wasn't, I don't think, involved in this scandal. It was a different scandal. He accepted a $300,000 bribe for getting a kid into the pin team. Oh, really? I didn't realize he was involved in that. Yeah, it was a different scandal, but he, he's already pled guilty to it. 300000 I mean, that's for an Ivy League basketball coach, that's a lot of money. Apparently, the kid was like decent, but they gave him one of the Wharton spots, which they only has two of. So. Yeah. And he's now coaching the NBA, no problem? Yeah, he's, he's, I see him on the bench for Celtics games all the time. Wow. All right. Speaking of NCAA, let's talk about the real NCAA meet of the weekend. The Grant Holloway Usain Bolt impersonation. Grant trying to save the sport, Grant Holloway NCAAs. How many points did he score, John? And did he break the all-time record? I think that Edward Cheserick had. He did break the all-time record if you count his relay split, I believe. Uh, he scored uh, he scored 26 individually, and then Florida was third, so 28. Actually, I think Cheserick, didn't Cheserick get 28 as well? Uh, I think he might have tied him. But he scored a lot of points. He won the 60 and 650, personal best, really impressive. He won the 60 hurdles in 735, which wasn't just a collegiate record. It was an American record. Uh, so that was crazy impressive. He was third in the long jump, but he didn't. He passed his last three attempts because he still had qualifying in the in the 60 and the 60 hurdles. And he Holloway essentially said, just Coach Holloway, Mike Holloway of Florida, essentially told him, just get in three good jumps and then Go, you know, that's good enough for, for us, for the team score. You go focus on the sprints. So that's what he did on Friday. And then, yeah, he ran the 4x4 four four on Saturday, 
And by that point, Florida had already won the meet. They had a very impressive meet, putting up uh, 55 points to win. But yeah, Holloway also ran leg on the 4x4 as well, you know, just for fun. And they got third in that event as well. So a great weekend by Grant Holloway. And th- But the thing is, Robert, so you mentioned the Bolt thing. This is one of my pet peeves with you. Every time some guy emerges like this, Grant Holloway, Noah Lyles, Wade Van Niekirk, is he the new Bolt? Look at, move over, Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt replacement on the way. We're not going to get another Usain Bolt, all right? We're going to have stars. Track and field, Michael Johnson was a big star. Like, you know, Maurice Green, he was a star. You have athletes like this. We're not going to get another Usain Bolt. Please stop comparing people to Usain Bolt, especially after they haven't done anything in the Olympics. Like, these guys are great. They're great personalities. I'm sure they'll be popular, but the next the calling every new talent the next bolt is a disservice to the sport this is why john's not going to be included on the robert johnson podcast which will cover much more than just sports but i have my market research john don't you watch these shows like on espn and fox sports one where no can you call yourself a sports fan all they do is talk about the la lakers every week the new york yankees the same they only talk about the big names so that that's what people can relate to so that's why I brought up Bolt. By the way, Weldon, have you seen the Bolt? I, I put this thread. By the way, now in the corner, lower right-hand corner of Let's Run, we put our favorite tweets. And I just think I was going to change the motto a few years to Let's Run to We Don't Tweet, but John's gotten me sort of into Twitter. So now I can put like tweets I like into that little box. But I put one on there yesterday. Bolt has launched. I mean, I'm assuming they're using Bolt, but it's called like a scooter company in New York. It's called like Bolt, Bolt Scoot or something. Have you seen it, Weldon? No, I've not seen it, but I did... Unlike my Google News alert, I saw that Bolt was in town. We did not go eat it at McDonald's like the last time I saw Usain Bolt. Actually, not the last time, but Robert and I did go with Usain Bolt to McDonald's in Boston one year. That's a lie. I was not there. Weldon Johnson was there with Matt Taylor. With Jack Smith. Sorry, it was just me. I'm I'm the high-level Let's Run guy. No, no. I hung out with Bolt in China before his Olympic success when he was hitting on the Chinese interpreter after the press conference with me and again matt taylor if you're looking for track gear unsolicited ad go buy some tracksmith gear so john after hallway in florida winning and the arkansas women won um anything else happened i mean distance wise it looks like my theme for the distances is you know if we're going to do one of these podcasts we'd have to one of these sports shows we have like controversial takes hot takes true or false but it seemed to me that my main theme for the weekend is Look, experience is overrated. And what do I mean by that? Well, two things. One, exactly half of the distance races, the men's mile, 3,000, 5,000, and women's 3,000 in DMR, they had someone from either Australia or New Zealand cross the finish line first. They don't have indoor track in Australia or New Zealand. I don't think there's a single one down there. So you don't need a lot of experience on an indoor track to win it. And either furthering that belief is that Morgan McDonald, the winner of the three and the 5,000 told Jonathan Gold that he ran exactly one indoor track workout the entire year so far. So that was the, the, that's one thing showing you don't need experience. And two, you know, and this is actually a more serious point, Ohio State's Julia Rizek and NAU's Jordy Beamish, they won the miles and neither one of them had ever been an NCAA track final before. Look, you don't need experience to win a big race. I've always said this, and people didn't believe me. Even when I was coaching at Cornell, I'm like, look, these people, you put a little kid out on a grass field and tell them to race somebody, that's instinctive. Like, they're going to try to get to the finish line first. 
when running fast and trying to beat someone is, is about as basic and elementary in sports as you can get. And most college runners were dominant in high school. So they're used to winning. They, they know how to, they know how to do that. Um, so that's my, my motto. One time I had a guy at Cornell and his first three years, he sucked. And I think I may have told this story before he was so bad. Like he was running like 440 miles, like as a freshman, people thought he made up his times to get recruited, but he was anemic and blah, blah, blah. His senior year, he shows up at a meet and, and the first time is the first time he was in shape. It was like the opening meet at Penn state. And he goes out and runs like 222 and a thousand and beat like an NCAA qualifier. He run like 147, 148. And he started in the middle of the pack and then the light bulb went off. That light bulb hadn't been on in three or four years, but he was in shape. Look at Weldon. Weldon was a choke artist in the Ivy League, never higher than fifth in the Ivy League. People viewed him as clutch when he was a professional and he was actually in shape under the guidance of the great John Kellogg. So there's my there's my NCAA distance recap for you, John. How did that do since you were actually at the meet? I, I don't know about that, Robert. See, here, all right, here's one thing. I just want to say I resent that you were telling me earlier to be more like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. I mean, the idea that I, I, I hold myself to a higher standard. Uh, but anyway... Your point, I don't really know if I agree with that, Robert, because if you talk to, all right, racing on the indoor track, training on the indoor track specifically, I don't think you need to train on an indoor track to be good. I mean, Morgan McDonald, clearly he doesn't train indoors and he is still a fine runner. You know, if if you're as talented as he is, you can do your workouts in some sort of field and you're still going to get benefit from it and you're still going to be able to come in, whoop some people. But here's the thing, racing, I mean, you need to, you need to know how to race on these indoor tracks. Positioning is very important. If you talk to Mike Smith, he's the coach of Northern Arizona University. He had Jordy Beamish win the mile this year. He had Andy Truard win the 3K in a big upset last year. If you talk to him, he's very much about you know winning the straightaways and passing, You know, making sure you pass at the right times, making sure you use your energy correctly. Like There's a lot of thought that goes into that. And one of the things he was proud of Jordy Beamish doing that was being aggressive and, you know, win the straights and just making sure he held his position, protected his position, that sort of thing. And the same with Morgan McDonald. If you watch that 3K against Grant Fisher, the two times they've raced this year in the 3K, to me, it came down to who had better tactics. They both, I mean, McDonald closed a little better. He's probably the slightly better runner overall, but Fisher beat him in New York at Milrose because he got to the lead by the bell and ran the shortest distance and closed he closed slower than McDonald, but he beat him because he had the position on him. This time, McDonald made sure to get in position with 600 to go, and then he held him off. It was difficult to do, but he did it. And Fisher didn't want to get to the lead until 200 to go, but by that point, it was too late. He couldn't fight him off. And to me, this sort of stuff's important. It's not just about who's the fittest athlete that comes in and just, you know, you can't just run away from someone. Indoors in some of these races, when the athletes are close in ability, you need to be able to have those racing instincts. You need to know what you're doing. It's a bit crazy that John has to explain to people who Mike Smith is. Because, like, as he said, Jordy Beamish, no one's ever heard of him. Andy Truard, no one had ever heard of him. Oh, Andy's also won the last three NCAA cross-country titles. I guess technically two. The, he's only been the coach the last two years. But he's building a dynasty at Northern Arizona. And I feel like a lot of Let's Run listeners know, you know who Mark Wetmore is and that sort of stuff. But Andy Smith is, like, getting it done. Who's Andy Smith? Well, then you just proved your own point. It's Mike Smith. Oh, Mike Smith. Uh, Andy Truard. Sorry. Damn it. I have a mistake every single podcast to my loyal fans. Sorry. I'm working hard going to my voice coach. That's a joke, but Mike Smith, but uh, no, the guy's like doing an incredible job. I was shocked. I did not see the mile live and I saw the results and I was like, what? 
it was a great weekend for the Kiwis and the Aussies. Five titles, I believe. And it, it was actually fun in the mile. Uh, Jordy Beamish, who's from New Zealand, outdueled Oliver Hoare, who's from runs for Wisconsin. He's from Australia, and I sort of gave Oliver Hoare some stick for that in the mix zone afterwards. He's like, "Yeah, you should you should try to frame that as Wisconsin versus Northern Arizona. You know, we don't like losing to the to the Kiwis. They have a bit of a rivalry there." John, what's going on with Brexit? Can we have a politics update, please? Uh, Theresa May's least, latest plan just got embarrassingly defeated again. They're coming up on the deadline. I don't know what's going to happen. We're flying into the, we're, you and me are going into the European Union before Brexit happens and we're leaving, flying back after it's supposed to happen. I don't understand why you need a plan. You're leaving. Bye bye. You're getting your unity then. <laughs> because, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how much we need to get into this, Robert, but there are borders in this country that need to be enforced. Like, usually, we don't enforce them. Between Northern Ireland and Ireland, now there's going to be a huge border and they need to figure out what to do there. Ship, everything that's being shipped into Dover in the ports, usually it's just going through very smoothly because it's already coming from the European Union. And now like, everything's going to go through the customs. It's gonna- just have a free trade agreement it's called NAFTA for Europe. Yeah, they're trying to figure out a trade agreement. And the problem is neither both sides have some issues. They don't want to come up with it. It's difficult coming up with these trade agreements, Robert. Just keep it as is, except you just can't. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by, I need some financial company. Donald Trump, 2020. That's a joke, people. It's a joke. <laughs> guy's a moron. Even I will say that. Glad we have that on the record that the guy's a moron. I was still happy he was elected, though. I was certainly not, but. Look at Robert straddling that. You know, we're pissing off someone, I'm sure. That's the point, John. Hot takes. Back to running and. No, back back to the NCAs. Okay. I got a text message in the middle of the NCAs, and I thought it was fantastic. And it must have been right when the DMR was starting or right after it started or maybe right after it ended. But the text message of the week says, you don't start Mariano Rivera, period, ever, period. And the coach was obviously criticizing Wisconsin's decision to run NCAA 1500-meter champion Oliver Hore, or I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, John, did you hear it on the loudspeaker there? Hoar or Hoar. It's one of those two. Hoar. I don't know which one. Hoar sounds good. Hoar sounds good. I never thought it was Hoar. Hoar sounds dirty, don't you think? Yeah, Hoar. So they they ran all over in the leadoff leg. The DMR comes down to who has the best miler. Instead, they ran... Um, they ran Olin Hacker. Yeah, Olin Hacker, Tim Hacker's son on the anchor who he's like a four or two guy for one guy, right? Four or one. He split three fifty nine. He did. He did. Yeah, he did about as good as he could, but he, he went from like second to like sixth or seventh or something. That to me was a really bad decision by McBurn. I think McBurn's a great coach, but look, and this is one thing I don't like about NCAA is like some guys run the DMR tire because they run the mile prelims. Some guys run the DMR fresh. Like Jared Nagusi probably would have won the open mile, but he's running it fresh. So I'm not going to go gaga over his DMR victory. Although, I guess Grant Fisher was also fresh. So that was pretty fair. But, um, you know, either run Oliver Hoare on the anchor or if you're going to lead him off, then run Morgan McDonald on the anchor and pull a Galen Rupp or an Edward Cheserick 5,000 DMR anchor, which is really hard to do. But don't run him on the 1,200 leg. Well, actually, once he ran that 1,200 leg and only handed off in fifth, now it was a virtual tie for second. I'm like, he's not winning the mile. You know, I know it's the second race of the day, but no. That to me was a sign like he's not on top of his game this weekend. So I thought it was a poor decision. And I don't think it would have mattered. He probably wouldn't have outkicked Jared Nagusi anyways, right? No, I don't think so. Because I talked to Mick and the thinking was, he. I mean, he kind of admitted Ollie had been a little under the weather coming into the meet. Uh, and 
he had seen how he looked in the mile prelims and he didn't, he didn't look incredible. And I think his thought was, you know, I, I don't want him anchoring. He's already pretty tight. He's got two races, the mile final and the three K final on Sunday, sorry, on Saturday. So he decided to put him on the 1200 and thinking, I asked, well, why put him on the 1200 at all? And he thought, well, I trust Olin Hacker. I think we could get something with this team and, you know, every little point helps. I think having Ollie on the 1200, that just makes us a little bit better. I think it doesn't take as much out of him as the mile leg would. And look, I mean, to his credit, they still got some points from that race and they tied for fourth place in the meets, getting on the podium as a team. If you don't run Ollie Hoare on the 1200 leg there, maybe they don't get that extra point. And maybe they don't get a trophy on the team podium. So I wonder if there's a bonus from Byrne for top five. I mean, I'm sure there's, you get a bonus for getting an, on the NCAA podium on track. Run Morgan McDonald on the 12 if it's so important to you. 20 minutes after he finished the 5K? 10 minutes after he finished the 5K? But then why? the thing I really didn't like was Hoare running the 3,000. And apparently John said, told me that was Hoare's decision. He wanted to run it. Byrne tried to get him not to run it, but he wanted to run it. But dude, you already didn't win the mile. We knew you weren't going to score in the 3,000. But to him, I talked to Ollie about that afterwards, and he's, he kind of knew that too. He knew he wasn't having a great weekend. You know, he got third in the mile, which again, is not, is not awful. I but guess I can't believe I'm criticizing guy for racing. Oliver, you're a stud, so. Yeah, he, he came out, he's like, look, when I think back on this, this was a super hard weekend of racing. It was really tough, but he's like, it's going to make me tougher mentally going forward. If I get into a tough workout or I have to do something tough in a race, I'm going to think back to this and how hard this was and how shitty I felt in that 3K and I kept grinding. And he's going to know that he has the inner strength to get through it. That's how the, how he said it, and I think that's pretty impressive. I think it, I gave him a lot of credit for taking on a very heavy workload, probably heavier than anyone else at the meet that weekend. Okay, let's talk about our biggest winners and losers at the NCAA championships. By the way, I was just looking it up. Tyler Day did run. He was only 13th, right, in the 5K? Yeah, he. I mean, he didn't run that great, but he, his qualifier was from cross-country fitness. It was, you know, he ran out like December 1st at altitude, and you know, we don't really, it, it, that was four months ago. So I know Mick, Nick produced a 3000 and 5,000 champion, but the biggest winner distance wise, in terms of coaching ranks, it has to be Chris Zelensky of the university of Florida folks. Is this Zelensky's first year there or second, John? I don't know. First or second. Either way. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, uh, uh, people were joking on the message board. Like, I'm sure that he gets a bonus for the team winning a national championship, even though he didn't have any guys at the meet. I think they only scored like seven or nine points at the SEC meet. I mean, they did score some points. And I'm not bashing him. But people, you got to understand this. It's like the idiots who criticize Steve Magnus at the University of Houston. If you don't have scholarships, you're not going to be a good distance coach. So Florida's focuses on the sprints and distances. And Coach Holloway is just hoping that Solinsky can get a few guys. Maybe he gives him one or two scholarships, and he spreads it really thin. There's some talent in Florida. Get an 800 guy. Or maybe maybe every once in a while he gets a stud from Kenya or something. And, you know, hopefully he can get a team. They got a really weak region in cross country. Maybe that team can make NCAA cross every year, just sort of with some local guys, nine ten type kids. But get over yourselves. He may very well be an amazing coach. My favorite line about coaching, you know, and again, this is me defending my no cross country titles at Cornell. But I always say to people. Look, when I started, I thought I could, you could coach a team up, you know, to top 10 NCAs. And maybe you could have 20, 30 years ago when NCAA coaching sucked, like really late 90s, when I know of a team that didn't do any tempo runs, no threshold work. But um, you, you need talent, you know, to, to do that. And my favorite phrase is how many national titles did Mark Wetmore win at Seton Hall? Answer zero. How many did Urban Meyer win at Utah? Answer zero. 
Uh, that one, the system was uh, system was against him. No one could win a national title at Utah, Robert. They weren't in the Pac-12 at that point. Just want to say, system was against him. You mean nobody could win it? They weren't allowed to be ranked number one. They went undefeated and they couldn't get a title. They couldn't go in the national championship game. How is he supposed to win a national title when you go undefeated and you can't get in the national championship game? Systems rigged. Yeah, and John not going for the hot takes and going for the facts. Back to Grand Holloway, John. I think you have the. Well, we have some exclusive audio. It's actually not exclusive. We have some groundbreaking audio, John, about Grant Hallway, his plans for next year. Daniel Robert basically just broke a collegiate record. So did I. But ultimately, it goes to me because I beat him in the race. If that was any other year, granted, Daniel Roberts would be a national champion. But like, like I said, Daniel Roberts and I have been competing for about five, six years now. So we're used to the competition. We're used to making each other better. And you know, next year is going to be his year. So tell everybody to watch out. Well, next year is going to be his year. Right. You, you, have, you would technically have another year left. Yeah, that, yeah, shit. Fuck. <laughs> are, you go, are you gonna go pro after this year? No. Fuck. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> hey, get that. Get it. Yo, I'm out. Yo, I'm out. I'm out. There we go, guys. For only time anyone's ever seen Grant Holloway flustered. Grant's gonna be a great face for the sport, assuming that's what he becomes, because he's very personable, tremendous athlete. He loves. To, he engages with the media very well, and that's the only sort of time there where he slipped up and was like, you know, n- you know, next year's not my year. And they're like, wait, you have another year of eligibility left. So it was pretty funny. We were talking about last time, 2028, you know, America and the opportunity we have. Grant Holloway will be in his wheelhouse then as well. So a lot of bright future in the U.S. sprint ranks for sure. Let's let's be realistic here. I mean. Everyone who pays attention to the sport knew Grant Holloway was going to turn pro next year. Oh, after this outdoor collegiate season, he wrote a letter. Like him coming back for this year, his junior year was a big deal. He wrote a letter, and Lake Florida, you know, did a lot of things on it with social media. He just broke the American record. He's talking about breaking in the sixty hurdles. He's talking about his big goal outdoors is to break thirteen minutes. The only guy to ever do that is Skeets Nehemiah, um back in the eighties. Maybe in the seventies. It was a long time ago when he was at Maryland, and so the idea that Callaway wasn't going to turn pro. I mean, he has nothing left to accomplish in college after this, you know, after this outdoor season. So yeah, come on, Grant. We all knew you were going to turn pro. It's not that big a deal, but I understand, you know, keeping up appearances, that sort of thing. Impressed, John Skeets Nehemiah. Nice reference. I mean, that's one of the best collegiate records. He ran thirteen flat in college. It's one of the best records, but I'm surprised you knew his nickname. I mean, I am a paid track and field journalist, so... John, what else What else is unique about him? He played in the NFL. I think he's the only guy... He, well, did he win a Super Bowl with the... I don't know if he won a Super Bowl with the Niners, but he did play in the NFL. I feel like he was on, like, the catch team. As a young Cowboy fan, I was crushed by the 49ers. I have no idea if he was on that team or not, but... He played 82 through 84, according to Wikipedia. How are we splitting this weekend in the 400? Because he doesn't have a 400 PR list. It was in the 44s. Could he pull an Allison Felix? Not that Allison Felix isn't a good athlete, but she's overrated because she wins so many gold medals on these relays, 4x1, 4x4. I was debating how, like what teams Holloway could win medals on. Easily, I think he could win medals in the following events. 110 hurdles, obviously. Olympics. Potentially the 400 hurdles. Potentially the 100, flat 100, potentially the 400, uh, uh, the 4x4 and the 4x1. And if you say maybe he's not quite fast enough for the 4x4, he could get on the run in the prelims and you still get the medal. And then we now have the mixed gender 4x4, which is going to give Allison Felix even more gold medals, which kind of bothers me. Um, 
and I still, I meant I should have asked IWF communications persons about that. Do they have a schedule out for the Olympics? Like, can the same person run the open four by four and then the regular the mixed gender four by four? I don't think they're allowed to. It's going to dilute the four by fours. Then we're going to have like forty year old Allison Felix still getting medals because she's on the mixed gender four by four, aren't we? Wait, so Allison Felix can't run the women's four by four and and the open in the mixed gender? I don't know. I haven't dug into it that much. I want to talk about Grant Holloway's potential in the hundred, though, because this guy—he's like six two, almost six three. You're in six five zero to win the sixty in indoors at USA. Uh, sorry, NCAA indoors. How many guys that tall are good at the sixty meter dash? And he's basically just not even training for it seriously as his main event. I mean, to me, that was phenomenal. That might have been the most impressive thing he did. I know he w- broke the American record in the hurdles, but. For someone that big to win the 60 and make it look easy, I mean, he he could be a really good 100-meter runner. I thought you were going to criticize me for saying he can make the Olympics in the Open 100. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. No, I mean, I'm intrigued to see what his potential is. Omar McLeod is the only man and world champion in the 110 hurdles. He's the only man to have broken 13 and in the 110 hurdles and 10 flat in the flat 100. Well, everyone thought Bolt was going to be a 200-meter runner and he became the greatest 100-meter runner ever. I never thought 110-meter hurdle guys might become... 100 meter star but as you said john that 60 times very good the other event that he can medal though in is the long jump of course what he did the decathlon i'd love to see him pole vaulting i i mean i i he would be he would be a fantastic phenomenal dec- uh decathlete but he has he's so good at these other events that i think he'd probably try to run, do a couple of them just individually and while we're talking about the olympics can i move on to my no you can't is the decathlon like the 10k you only do it if you're not good at something else Wow. Mm, there are a lot of decathletes who are going to be mad about that. I mean, let I, should I remind you, Ashton Eaton basically just decided to become a 400 hurdler for fun in 2014 and was like one of the best in the world. Like Ashton Eaton, I'm sure if he'd, he'd be one of the best long jumpers in the world. They, they would, the very best ones would be among the best in the open events. But if you're a second tier decathlete, I, I, I don't know. Okay, Robert, continue on. I'm going to go to my message board throughout of the week, and I hype this up. Folks, Anthony Rochich, the three-time NCAA steeplechase champion, is now a U.S. citizen. And I titled the thread something like, Andy Byer's Worst Nightmare. And some people gave me grief on the Let's Run message boards, pointing out that Byer's steeplechase PR is faster than Anthony Rochich. I think Byer's PR is like, what, 8.13? And Rochich has run like 8.21 or something? John, correct me if I'm wrong, but folks, this reminds me of Paul Cholimo. Do you know who Paul Cholimo is, fans? Podcasters, as you're driving your car or you're going through your run or giving your baby the bottle late at night and listening to this podcast. Do you know who Paul Cholimo is, the Olympic silver medalist in the 5,000 for the last Olympics? Do you realize what his 5,000 meter PR was before he became a U.S. citizen? A lot of these Kenyans or now Canadian Americans, they don't try it running as professionals until they become U S citizens. Cause like, I guess they're, I don't, it's weird to me. I think they're intimidated by making the Kenyan team. Cause they weren't like the very best people in Kenya when they were little, but they end up here with the proper coaching becoming silver medalists like Wagat and Chulimo. Chulimo's PR before becoming a U.S. citizen was 1321. It is now 1257. So I could coach Rotich to the Olympics. Anthony, if you're listening and you need coaching, you can come live in my well. I don't know, my wife will let, we'll get you an apartment here, and we'll sponsor you. Let's run. We'll pay for it. Maybe I'll send you out with Jerry Shoemaker. Well, actually, I don't. Andy Bear will let you train with him, but Andy Bear is not with the uh, Bowman Track Club anymore, Robert. 
No, he's not. Even better. No. So it really is his worst nightmare. Well, he no, he he's the better example, Robert. Chalimo, okay. How about Hillary Bohr, right? Hillary Bohr, steeplechaser like Anthony Rotich. In college, he was fourth, second, and third in NCAAs. You know, he was he had a very good college career, but he wasn't as good as Rotich. He never won an NCAA title. His PR coming out of college was only in the eight thirties. So and then he basically he joins the army and he can't really race or train seriously that much. From 2013, these were his season's best. 2013, 832, then 838 in 2014. 845 was his season's best in 2015. The next year, he's starts able, he's training with uh, Scott Simmons, I think, after that. Next year, he runs 813. He makes the Olympic final. Then he's 811 in 2017 and 812 last year. He's been a fixture on US teams ever since that, one of the best steeplechasers. I mean, I think Rotic, would it be really that far-fetched to see Rotic do the same thing after taking a few years away from the elite level of the sport? He went from 845 to 811 in one year. Those were his season's best. Yeah, so that's like Rotic, because Rotic ran 821 way back in 2013. And then since then, he's run 830, 833, 827, 827. The last year, 834. He's got the talent. He's an NCAA champion in the indoor mile as well. Remember that. He beat Lawi Lalang. I th- did he beat Lawi Lalang in that race? He he beat three forty nine miler Johnny Gregoric in that race, and Dartmouth's own Will Gohegan. He's so clearly he's very talented, and if he's now training full time and he gets to focus on that, I mean, who's to say that he couldn't be on the Olympic team by twenty twenty? You are correct, John. Lawi Lalang was second in that race. Mac Fleet was third, folks. Whatever happened to Mac Fleet? Johnny Gregoric sixth, and Jordy Williams. Let's run podcast guest eighth. All right, guys, let's move on. We're keeping today's podcast a little bit shorter. I don't think I've revealed the information that I met with a secret Olympian today in my house. He'll be on the podcast next week. There's no way I'm going to get it edited by today, so we will save this special Olympian for next week. Wait, 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 wait. Does your wife know about this? I understand. I just saw her in the background. She came home from work early today. Is she concerned that you're meeting with an Olympian in the apartment during the week? She's cool with it. She's cool with it. He did say he, John. Wow. Was it professional in nature? Yes. The pr- this person will be on our podcast next week. No. Oh, good, good. John saw the person on via my computer Skype. So it's not secret to John, but it's, it's secret. So special guest next week. Yeah. Can confirm this person did run in the Olympics. Has an Olympic medal. Did your wife watch the NCAAs or anything this weekend? Do we have any wife audio this week? We did not. Let's run, viewers, in case you're not sure what we're talking about. I recorded my wife watching the Tokyo Marathon. We encourage visitors to record their wives, parents, watching track events and send that in. Please send that in. And fake Galen Rupp, I'd like to hear from you again. Yes, fake Galen Rupp, fake Ryan Hall. Please submit audio. It wasn't fake Galen Rupp. It was fake Ryan Hall, right? Yeah, I think it was. We need a fake Galen Rupp and a fake Alberto. Galen, I need you to go out there and um, (laughs) do it for me. Uh, there you guys. Uh, that's I think it's the 108 mark or a 104 mark. If you're looking for the first time, Robert bashes or make fun makes fun of Rupp or Salazar. There you go. You can check that one off. Take a drink. John, once we edit out the dead time, that'll be about the hour mark. Okay. Took only one hour for Alberto Salazar's name to come up in today's podcast. Alberto. Sorry, we didn't mention you sooner. <laughs> Thank you for the indoor season once again. We love you. He's got to be a rate though, about no five thousand. The, the pride payments are working great. We love saying good things about you now. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe Alberto is behind this because 
the only people that are going to be able to afford the 5,000 people are the people that he sponsors. So the Africans, like you move Kajelcha, that he can throw like 35, 75, 135, whatever. He can give them all this money on the side. They'll run the 5,000, 10,000, train for it. Meanwhile, like the really studs will all move up to the marathon. So like Kajelcha won't have to beat anyone to win the Olympic gold, except for maybe Farah. Ooh, that, that would be the grudge match. Gary Lowe versus Alberto Salazar, 2020. Yes. So next week, my secret guest, who is Olympic medalist, Boston Marathon champ, and London, and excuse me, New York City Marathon champ. Very secret. <laughs> Wonder who that could be. There's only one person. My wife heard me in the background yelled, you're giving it away. You guys can answer that trivia question. You will know who the guest is. Submit your answers. Some younger fans might not know who that is, Well, Anyway, real quickly. Being in New York, I'm exposed to all these track events this winter. I went to the Armory on Sunday for the New Balance Nationals for the Athang Mo Coronation Sub 2 run. And what did I see? But Athang Mo get beat by a high school freshman. It was not what anyone expected. It was pretty shocking. In case you guys don't know who we're talking about, Athang Mo is the 16-year-old who set the American record at 600 meters at USA's two and a half weeks ago. And then everyone assumed she would at least make an attempt at breaking two minutes for 800 at the high school nationals and crush the field. Instead, she went out sub-60 and then faded each lap after that. But the crazy thing is... She had a bigger lead at 600 meters to go than she did at 200 meters as everyone else was running even slower behind her. And then in the final lap, actually, I, I should know the high school record holder's name. I think it's Rosen Willis. She put on a big kick and kicked by a thing, Mo, as she faded and got the high school record. So it was pretty crazy. High school freshman record, right? Not high school record. Yeah, high school freshman record. And at the time, you know, everyone was focused on, I think, Mo, but it's pretty interesting because Willis, well, at first glance, I, I saw Stevens Point High School, and I'm like, wait, I've heard of that high school. And it's the high school of Chris Selinski and Suvi, Susie Favor Hamilton. But then people on the message boards pointed out that Willis's mom is Breda, I'm not sure how to say it, it's an Irish name, B-R-E-D-A, Dinahy Willis, an Irish Olympian at 5,000 meters. And her daughter's very good at anything from like sprints to 800 meters and the mile. So I think Mo was so two weeks ago. Now we're all about Rosen Willis. Yeah. When's when's Rosen Willis getting her pro contract from uh, New Balance or Adidas? You know, it's got to come soon, right? It's a true statement. If you're a shoe executive, and again, I've offered my consulting services for Amazon. I'll probably be taking a month sabbatical, but a shoe company, you can hire me too. I'll tell you to hire. I would give this Rosen McGillis woman more money than Sammy Watson right now. But I think we're overplaying a little bit. She didn't really beat Athing Mo. Athing Mo beat herself and tied up. But, I mean, she did win the race. But that's the thing about running. That's why, John, I think the tactics are overrated. Yet again, another example of experience is not needed. She won the national championship because she got to the finish line first. Just don't tie up, run a good race, get there first, and you're the winner. Again, I disagree with the tactics overrated thing, but I do agree. Like, look, I think Mo, if she runs 203, this thing isn't even close. It was 205 race. She didn't run to her potential. She lost. That's how it happens. But, you know, athletes don't always run to their potential, especially high school junior. She's 16. I mean, she ran amazing at USA's, but it's hard to be very consistent every single race. And uh, she got beat. 
and it was very different running. I think I wouldn't say the pressure got to her, but uh, I think thing went into this one with a completely different mindset. There was pressure to try to go sub two. It's just, so now she's racing the clock out by herself. And, you know, after she came through at 400, I knew she wasn't going to get it, but to her testament after the race, she handled it great. She handled it like a pro. It was like the same kid who broke the American record two weeks ago. She was smiling, answered all the questions. Great. You mean she didn't handle it like a pro. She didn't handle it like Yellen Rupp would have handled a loss like that. She handled it like a, pros should handle it many of these pros are jumping fences and avoiding the mix zone that's a good point certain pros don't handle losses very well they love talking to the media well it's not a good example because he's not big with the media win or lose but yeah we have examples of pros who don't we, we don't need to name them but we know they're they're out there who are different athletes when they win and when they lose oh wow john protecting protecting i see no need to throw people under the bus like that but you know, it, it happened. And I understand, like, look, I if I was being interviewed right after I lost in devastating fashion, or if I did something that I would consider a failure, I'd probably be pretty pissed off too. I get it. What's wrong with having a list? 10 best interviews, 10 worst interviews. Right. We should have a Let's Run Hall of Fame. I kind of think it's cool with people who jump the fence. Yeah, embrace it. I don't like it when they do it, but we should have a Let's Run Hall of Fame. These are the athletes who jumped the fence and avoided interviews. And you, get, you get a special award, a special t-shirt, that sort of thing. Her coach, Al Jennings, said she hasn't lost a race in a couple of years at 800 meters. Well, she lost the Youth Olympics last year, but in the U.S. it's been a while. And he said, look, the last time she lost, she was crying. And I told her, hey, you got to learn how to lose. It's part of the sport. And th- this time she handled it like we wish all pros did. So I think you know her future obviously is still super bright. And you know, Coach Jennings kind of questioned himself a little bit. He's like, look, she came off a cross-country season. Maybe she's not as strong as she was at the start of the season. Maybe we should have done a little more endurance stuff. I mean, clearly she's a tremendous speedster, but she's always been a 800, you know, even 1500 runner. So she thinks of herself as a distance runner. So right now she's actually, you know, just a lot better at 600. She probably could run a tremendous, I mean, 400, I think what she could do as well too. So, but little hiccup for her, but hey, well now we got a new freshman record holder as well. Yeah, it's always good when we got new new uh, potential stars or new athletes coming up. Like it's boring if the same athlete wins every w- week. So, uh, it was, yeah, good for Royce and Willis. Good for I think Mo for handling handling herself like a pro. Um, it's good for the sport. Both of them, both of those women have very bright futures. And I said we'd keep the podcast short, but as we're doing this, I just checked the listener inbox, and we got some audio. Guy called in. Let's we can kind of. Listen to this and maybe end with this little discussion of it, but it's about the 5K. Actually, before that, let's real quick the top threads of the week. I didn't listen to these, but these were the most popular threads the last week. Gert Ingerbitsen shares the secret to his son's his son success, high mileage, and claims they don't have any natural speed. Number two, we've not mentioned this, and this only happened recently. This shows how popular she is. Jordan Assay is back. She runs 6.7106 at Rome Half and race one in 66.40. And then... The third most popular thread is about the new Olympic standards. And the fourth most popular thread is about the 3,000 replacing the 5,000. And that is related to this audio. So here we go. Let's run listener audio. Hello, Let's Run uh, listeners of the podcast, Mr. Johnson and Mr. Galt. Um, just sort of a short just thing that after the IAAF decision to remove the 
5,000 from the Diamond League program. Um, it's more venting a frustration thing, because there's no point in posting it on the message board. Um, it just seems like, as a more than casual fan of the sport, as someone who coaches young athletes, uh, not I'm not wouldn't call myself an elite runner or anything like that, but just someone who really cares about the professional sport of track and field. Um, it just seems like the IAAF doesn't give a fuck about the fans of the sport anymore. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're listening to athletes because they've all complained about the world ranking system. It doesn't seem as though they care about the sort of long-distance track running. It just seems as though the IAAF is trying to fight for some odd relevance that they don't even have to begin with. Um, you know, it's like they, they have not adapted well to Bolt leaving the sport. And instead of, you know, trying to make the, the sport more relatable, and they have just done things that are entirely counterproductive to that aim. It goes on another minute. Understand the frustration he has. And I think also they are neglecting a whole subset of their base, distance fans. And these people, there's a lot of distance runners in high school. They look up to these people. They follow the sport. They look to the distance runners. Fine. They may not be the guys watching every single Diamond League meet, but it's probably 15 to 20% of your audience. They're inspired by this. It's their connection to the sport is distance running. And now we're getting rid of that. So I think that's a problem. And then at the end, in the final minute, the guy says, like, look, the presentation of the Diamond League is the problem. And maybe now by having less events, we'll be able to present it better. But he's, and a couple extra events isn't what's wrong we got to present what we have better. So maybe if you pair that down, you can present it better. But the problem with the Diamond League isn't a 5,000 versus a 3,000. So I, I agree with that sentiment. But I don't think they're purposely trying to fuck up. They're thinking about this. I applaud them for at least trying something new. But remember, the whole the Diamond League was going to solve these problems. But if we can get to a more set schedule, a more regular schedule of events, um, I mean, I mean more when the meets are. I don't think you need the same meets, events at every meet. But... Hey, that's what they think. Give it a shot, but we still need five thousand somewhere. He's, you know, he said they don't even adopt it well since the last bolt. The IWF communications person said a point like, "Look, if we don't make changes, people call us dinosaurs, and then when we make changes, people complain." And I think that's a very good point. So, all change is going to cause problems. That's why I've tried to be on board with the world ranking stuff. I just think they, sh no one's going to. I don't understand why they want the world rankings to do the Olympics because they want the world rankings to like be in the media. Chris Derrick is the 300th best marathoner in the world or whatever. I understand that to some level, but I just think they should let the U.S. take whatever three we want. But my other point was like, I think you're saying it right, Weldon. It needs to be presented better. That's part of what's wrong. You have to really understand the sport to appreciate it. So if anything, I don't think going from two hours to 90 minutes is going to help. You might cut the events and then do a better job spending more time to like promote the matchup that you're about to see. So show some backstories or whatever, you know, or you could do the field events better instead of cutting in and like not really showing it. Right. How do you, how does the diamond league usually start? Let's go. I'm just going to throw this out there. Warner rules. Exactly. What do you usually see? The diamond league starts, the broadcast starts and there's like guys on the track running the 400 meter hurdles and that's it. No other sporting event is done like that. There's an intro, a big discussion of what happens. So I think just having guys lined up on the track as the gun goes off or the 400-meter hurdles is not the way to do it. I think a 10-minute intro would be better. I'd be fine having an hour-and-a-half track meet with 15-minute buffer on front and back end and interviews and that sort of stuff. Then it's like something people can see. There's discussion. You know, if you, Just showing the event, the game, that's 
then there's no backstory. No one knows what's going on. The casual fan doesn't know what's going on. Well, it's very hard because there's there's 20 different stories. That's someone someone let's run set at a soccer match, football match. You have one theme throughout, and you build the drama. Everyone understands what's going on. And track, you understand what's going on, and then you know, depending on whether it's indoors or outdoors, seven seconds later or ten seconds later, you're doing another event. But they still preview like you know, hey, here's what to look for these top matchups. Here's what Man U is going to be trying to do. You know, here's what PSG is trying to do. There's some discussion of like, you know, who's playing. I agree. I thought the NCAA broadcast did a poor job of that. And a lot of the sprinting events, they didn't even talk about the second or the third thing. You know, and that's one of the things I try to do when I'm doing the Ivy League broadcast is before the race, tell people like, okay, these are the three or four big people you need to pay attention to. This is why it's significant. And then afterwards, tell them what just happened. Well, it's an interesting time. Indoor track now is officially over and we head into the spring road slash marathon season. We did have the Gate River Run this past weekend, 15K championships. And this weekend is the NYC United Airlines Half Marathon in New York City. And then soon after, before you know it, the Boston Marathon will be here. Can we end the show, Weldon, with one final playing of taps? really think that that's the big story, right, John? Yeah, the 5,000. We... We don't know when we'll see. Enjoy it this year, guys. We got five Ks in the Diamond League this summer, and after that, who knows how often we'll see it run at these meets around the world, folks. The father of the five thousand, the five thousand meters. I'm just going to give you a little more backstory. We talked about it at the beginning, but we didn't go into full obituary. We just sort of said like it's like the front page of the paper. Robert Johnson is dead, and then it's like see page twelve for details. Born in Finland in 1912. Excuse me, born in Stockholm in 1912, the son of Finland's Hannes Kolomainen, the 1912 Olympic gold medalist. Not sure who the mother was. Actually, we can find the mother of the 5,000 meters. Wang Jia. I don't know. I was hoping it wasn't going to be her. Wang Jiangxia, yeah, I'm sure. Wang Jiangxia. No, nothing suspicious about her. Came into existence in 1996 at the Olympics. It was a very, again, in this multicultural world that we live in, I think it's ironic that we're getting rid of a multicultural event. The son of a Finnish father and a Chinese mother, now thriving in the world of Africa. Perfected by two Ethiopians, Kenisa Bekele, Tiranesh Jababa, world record holders. Perfected, but most recently shown the way by Britain's Mo Farah. Do you think Paul Chalimo knew what was happening? Is it a coincidence that his half marathon debut is this weekend, the same weekend, the 5,000 meters saw its death? Someone tipped him off. Conspiracy. Read my article on Paul Chalimo on the website. Find out more. Maybe that maybe that question's answered. Who knows? Go to, go to letsround.com to find out. Six people are reading it. I'm kidding. I haven't looked up the stat. Well, thank you, everyone who listened. And goodbye to the 5,000 meters. you've got any user audio for the podcast, be sure to call 844-538-7786. That's 844-LET'S-RUN and hit option seven. Or shoot us an email at podcast 
at letsrun.com.